So in the consulting industry, I think one of the biggest myths that, you know, that, that some of the larger brands, brands that we work with consider is they think we have to go to the big boys in order to, to get these complex projects done. Mm. Right. So we have to go and I'm not, not bashing anyone. So again, <laughs> go on record. Uh, you know, we, Oh, we have a really complex thing we need to do. We need to call Accenture or Deloitte or, you know, have Gemini because no one else can handle it. And that's simply not true. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Expert. I'm your host, Devin Miller, a serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a fa- founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, Diedrich Boyd. And Diedrich, we're going to talk about a lot of fun things. Um, one is uh, talking a little bit about how to develop an e-commerce or how you go about developing an e-commerce business, uh, building a good team around it. Also talking a little bit about the metaverse now, not the metaverse like you watch in the movies, but more of the metaverse in uh, practical terms, um, how you can uh, use that, to uh, how the metaverse is grander than NFTs or non-fungible tokens. Um, and then also the, the current state of um, some virtual stores. Uh, maybe talking a little bit about uh, talking the difference between large consultancies and smaller players, earning clients trust, and who, know, who knows what else we'll talk about. And it'll definitely be a great discussion. And with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Diedrich. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Excited to have you on. So now before we dive into all the topics at hand, um, for those of you that are, haven't had a chance for the audience, that haven't had a chance, Diedrich was a guest on the Inventive Journey. So definitely go and check out his episode there and uh, find out about more of his journey. But the, for those uh, uh, people in the audience that haven't had a chance to check on that or um, otherwise you're saying, hey, I just want to get to the meat and potatoes of the Inventive Expert, uh, introduce yourself to the audience. Take a minute or two and let everybody know who you are. Perfect. Thanks. Uh, my name is Diedrich Boyd, and I'm the CEO of TechSpark. And for the past 23 years, I've been helping um, some pretty notable brands, uh, Nike, Columbia, Abercrombie, really drive the future of e-commerce. Um, and what I'm really interested in doing at this point, what our mission is, is to really help those lifestyle brands reach new customers, build um, deeper relationships with existing customers, and then create captivating worldwide shopping experiences. No, and that's uh, definitely a, a great uh, a great intro, and uh, certainly a, a fun uh, fun uh, biz- or field to be in. So, well, with that, one of the things probably is a larger kind of topic at hand is uh, one of the things we talked a little bit about before the the podcast was developing an e commerce or e commerce presence, an e commerce platform, building a good tech team around you, especially sometimes if you're not inherently a tech person. Now, oftentimes the more you develop it, you almost inherently become a bit more tech person. But how do you go about you know, is a broader sense, there are a lot of people that want to be on e-commerce and develop that, get that presence. And, you know, some do well, other people are saying, hey, I'll, all I have to do is put up a website, do some Facebook ads, and I'm going to have an e-commerce platform and I'll just go build the website myself. It'll take me 10 minutes. So any thoughts or ideas of people are wanting to get into that, you know, that realm of their, or for a business, how do you go about doing that? And how do you build a team around it? Sure. So, E-commerce is really interesting. Um, One of the first things you have to do is sit down and really understand what your brand is all about. 
and what customers you're trying to reach. So research that demographics, go after those customers. Um, and then you need to, in my opinion, form a, a really nice curated set of products, right? Mm. What are you gonna sell? Now, if you're a designer, you're gonna sell things that you make, you already have that, so you have a leg up. Um, at that point, then you need to take your personal brand and move that to the digital realm. Easier said than done <laughs> to showcase who you are uh, on a web page and things of that nature, but, but it absolutely can be done. And it is really important that the digital representation of what your brand is all about, what your store is all about, really shines through. Um, after that, photography, photography, photography. If you don't have great pictures of your product being used, um, being set up where people can see that product where they can really kind of get a, a glimpse of what it's supposed to be like, you're going to have a really hard time. Um, if you've looked at how Airbnb jumped to the top, it was all about photography. The same goes for e-commerce. Um, mm. It is one of the things that I most often see people overlook and just think, oh, well, I'll just grab some photos from, you know, this person, you know, this person, I'll just take a quick photo not not going to work. So photography is really, really important. And then um, making sure that the journey is really smooth um, from pulling people to your site with an ad, lead magnets, things of that nature. Once they're in, enrolling them into your site, reaching out and touching them, um, having all of those marketing things turned on. And that's really important. We're, we're seeing the death of cookies. We're, we're getting to zero party data. A lot of this has gotten really difficult, but you can still create um, lasting journeys with your customers and make sure they go through the flow in the right way and you touch them and you pull them back in um, and then just keep, keep, keep talking to them and make sure your, um, you know, make sure your customer service is on point too. That's really important. No. And I think that that's, uh, there's definitely a lot of good things. And I mean, one of the ones that you hit on that it took me a little bit of time to understand the importance of it was a proper, pro if I can't, don't get tongue tied, product photography. In other words, that is one where, you know, it's, it's one where you don't recognize that products are well photographed until you start, but you definitely understand when you go to a website and it looks, you know, that they aren't well represented. It looks like they just took a quick snapshot with the phone and it's blurry and it's not good lighting and you can't really see the product. And yet people oftentimes more anything, they'll go out and they'll just say, oh, just, I'm a good photographer. I can take them. And some people are good photographers. I'm not saying that they aren't, but you're also going to say, you know, how can, or a lot of times people will think, oh, it's not that big a deal. I'll just take it and snap a couple of quick picture, pictures. And yet it's amazing how big of a difference it can be impactful on your presence. And same thing you even hit on with the, you know, how it walks you through the website. And most of the time people tend to, I think my personal opinion, maybe I'm completely wrong, overcomplicate their website. They want to put in too much information, too much pictures, too much in or their information. And it's not that you don't want to convey it correctly, but it's that you don't want to overwhelm them such that there's so much to intake that they get lost in the message. So they can't see your product very well. They don't know what it is or where it is. And usually you only have most of the time people visit your website 30 seconds and they've either moved on or they've decided to dive in deeper. And so you have a short window to show your product well and convince them. So I, I couldn't agree more with you. I, I totally agree. Simplicity works. If you look at luxury, high fashion, it, it's very simple. And simple is hard to pull off and convey the message. That is, that's the, you know, one of the things that I find, and even looking at modern architecture, it looks so simple. 
but it's mm. hard to do <laughs> so that people actually get it. But that is, you're absolutely right. Simplicity, making it just bam, they know what it is. They know who you are. They understand who you are, your journey, um, what it's all about. That will keep them there. I think you hit on one thing with the complexity. People want to add all these bells and whistles and this widget and this thing. People are not going to come back to your site because of features. They're going to mm -hmm. come back because you have a good product. It's easy and it's an enjoyable experience. And if you have a really, really good mission behind you, a reason for being here, that's what's going to keep them coming back time after time again. No, I think that's definitely the, the case. And so now as we as we do that and you know we talked a little bit about generally about e-commerce now one of the areas that i think you're certainly into and that would uh, you know be of interest to the, the the audience is with the metaverse now metaverse i think for a lot of people the only thing they know is what they've seen probably in spider-man or maybe dr strange although i like the spider or spider-man movie a lot better than dr strange but <laughs> that's that's the only thing that they hear is the metaverse or the multiverse or you know and definitely not what you're talking about but, you know, how do you, first of all, what is that? Or kind of maybe give people a quick introduction. What is the metaverse and how does it relate much more to on the business side versus maybe movies where they get things mixed up? Sure. Um, the best one that I like is, is Ready Player One. I think it's a little bit closer to what we might see in some near-ish future, but none of that is here right? Mm -hmm. Everyone's hyped up over the metaverse. I'm big into it. I really uh, am bullish on the metaverse, but it's not here just yet. It really is a series of interconnected places that you can be digitally or you can go to digitally. Um, and you can either explore things, you should be able to purchase, you should be able to learn, hang out with your friends. And, and so therein lies the rub. We don't have this series of interconnected places just yet. We have the internet and there's a bunch of sites, but those sites aren't connected. Um, so I think today when we start talking about the metaverse, it is going to be powered by gaming engines because gaming mm. engines have the ability to create, um, you have the ability to create 3D worlds and make them interactive. So being interactive, um, being able to talk to other people, share your ideas, transact there, learn there, that, that's really the key for me. Mm, no, I think that that certainly makes sense. And so, you know, I think it makes sense on a broader level. Now, I think people have a hard time because I, I would say, and you can definitely correct me where I'm wrong, because you're much more of the expert, you know, to a degree, it's really increasing the virtual presence of your business online. Now, that's not just simply having a website. And I think that the metaverse is much bigger than that. And it can be everything from much more interacting. And, you know, you have people talk about, they can almost be, like I said, Ready Player One, but a 3D universe to where you're actually able to virtually visit stores or, or a, 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 you know, a, a mall, so to speak, or different locations and interact with people. But, you know, while you have, you know, everybody has a level of understanding, at least when you talk about virtual or augmented reality and some of the movies and some of the things you see, people don't know how to do it on a, on a business level. In other words, you know, how do you ever actually make that leap or make that connection? And how do you actually go about building or making a business case? And especially, you know, and I know it's a loaded question, but you have a lot of people that don't even have augmented reality, virtual reality set up or gear, and they don't know how to, you know, people aren't familiar with it. And so I think there's some hurdles there, but there's also a lot of opportunity. So how do you go about actually starting to gear your business in that direction? 
This is a great question. And you touched on a, two topics. One, I feel very strongly virtual stores for most uh, businesses, that's going to be the starting point. And when I say virtual, I don't mean with the headgear and you know VR headsets or AR glasses or anything of that nature. Um, I'll come back to that as to why, but I do mean a virtual place that you can control an avatar, first person or third person, whichever you prefer, and to move around, talk to the um, concierge of the store, talk to store associates, interact with other people in the store, and then transact. That's the first step, and you can do that um, in the 3D 3D world, and and we already have the technology to make that happen today. That mm. that's done. We don't have to worry about that. Um, when I think you talk about AR glasses or VR headsets, the hardware isn't quite here just yet. Um, it, sometimes it can be pretty heavy. It can be a little bit clunky. They're making strides every single day, but it's also very expensive. Until we can start bringing down the cost, you're not going to see wide scale adoption. I mean, let's think about Brazil, think about India, think about some of these giant places, you know, black, giant uh, populations of people that don't have three, four hundred US dollars to spend on a piece of headgear. It's, <laughs> it's just not it's not quite there just yet. Um, but if you think about how the video games works, I have a teenage uh, teenage son who plays, you know, we used to play Fortnite, plays Call of Duty. He's on with all his friends who may or may not be in Portland where we are all the time, talking to each, each other. They can see each other. They hang out. They don't miss a beat. That's, mm. that's the start of the metaverse. So when we can take those virtual stores and then begin to string them together or link them together with a common backbone so you can move from one to the next, now you're beginning to see the actual metaverse. And why is this important? Because you can do immersive ads in there. There's the marketing angle, the advertising angle. There's the ability to put a product in a space that is a 3D representation of the product where the user can take it and spin it, zoom all the way in, zoom back out. They can look at the side panels. You can have hotspots and say, well, here's this type of stitching, what that is. You can't accomplish any of that on a 2D or, or, or a normal picture. It's almost impossible to give a user, you know, a customer that level of detail. More importantly, I think is as we talk about social, you know, bringing social commerce or or being collaborative. If you are visiting, um, I use Ivy Park for example, which is the Beyonce brand that she works with, um, that, that she's partnered with Adidas on. Mm -hmm. If you are visiting Ivy Park, and you walked up and there was kind of a hologram and you were interacting, it looked like Beyonce, and it was kind of pre-programmed to say a few things, and you know maybe you do a selfie and then post that to IG. What if all of a sudden that the camera turned on from that hologram, like, like you and I are on Zoom right now, and it wasn't the hologram, you know, this 1000th visit, but it was actually Beyonce talking to you. Mm. That's the kind of crazy stuff you can do in the metaverse. And I think it starts to blow people's mind, like, wait a minute, you know, that's crazy. That's awesome. It, it's, we can do all that today. And so mm -hmm. that's, you, talk, you really talk about bringing those influencers in, creating um, environments where people want to stay and hang out because what if on the off chance, I'm the person that gets to actually talk to Beyonce? Fascinating. No, I definitely think that is uh, very interesting and, and is, it presents a, a great opportunity. So now as you do that, you know, so let's say you're in a business position and you're saying, okay, sounds like an interesting proposition, love to explore it further. 
I still have no idea how to get started. You know, what is, or if you're to say, how do you get started or what are the steps you might consider if you're wanting to do something? Let's say, I'll give you an example. I'm a small e-commerce store and I sell, let's see, pottery. I'm just making it up pottery for whatever reason was the first thing that came <laughs> to my mind, but I sell pottery. And so you're saying, yeah, that, you know, it's pretty simple. It's just a consumer product. They'll buy it for their garden or, you know, maybe I sell a couple products along with it. And I don't really know, you know, it's, what is it? Should that business consider it? And if so, how should they get started? Or how do you figure out where to get practically started or if you should? Yeah, absolutely. I think those businesses should go after that. Um, I actually have a, a friend who does pottery <laughs> and we've had this very conversation. So it's uh, very interesting that you went there. Um, I think they absolutely should. And I would probably go more of a, of a virtual showroom to start. Um, so people can go in, they can see the the different items in 3D. And then the the tricky part today is connecting that visual, that 3D environment to wherever you make your transactions happen. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people say, well, we need to bring in crypto. We need to bring in all of these other things and you must use crypto. No, you don't have to, you know, take, take a step, take a 3% innovation step, create the 3D environment, hook it up to the existing e-commerce engine that takes a credit card and just call the engine and take the, <laughs> make the purchase and then ship it, right? That will, that's a big enough step where most people can digest that and say, hey, this is really cool. This is super awesome. Uh, can I go from this pottery store to the next one? Can I go check out this other artist? I think people would be really interested in doing that. Um, but I do think uh, with the current, you know, hype cycle, if you will, with the metaverse, people tend to go a million degrees this way <laughs> and go really far on the innovation uh, leap. And some people, it's hard for us to kind of wrap our heads around it. So, so mm. dial it back, create the 3D, hook it up to your e-commerce engine, wherever you make your transactions today, PayPal, doesn't matter. Let them purchase it right there in the spot. And, and that'll be awesome. No, I think that's a great, uh, great steps to get started. So now one of the other things that, you know, maybe shifting gears just a little bit, which, but I think it goes along with it because I think in the early days, it was just online transactions in general. You had to earn your customers trust a whole lot in the sense that people were nervous that, Hey, I'm giving out credit card. And nowadays everybody's, everybody just gives it out and no, no big deal. And I think that people have gotten used to it. Now you still be careful if you're going to a less than reputable site, or you may use a PayPal or third party intermediary, but there's certainly overcome that, you know, that trust issue of, is my information safe? Can I actually make online transactions? Now it's almost still more personal data. You know, can I have personal data that I'm in, in, in people are more guarded about? Honestly, it seems like a lot of times their cell phone number or their email address and they are their credit card because they can go and get their credit card to take off, you know, erroneous charges. But how do you go about as you're expanding into a, again, almost a new area where people are less familiar, less comfortable because they haven't done it as much. How do you go about earning your client's trust? For me, I'll, I'll send it right back. I think you, you take a smaller step. And if you have those customers who've interacted with you on 2D, right, in a traditional website, you've earned their trust. You just let them know this is just another visual medium on top of that existing same service, same servers. You don't, you, there's no difference. However, the credit cards are captured today, it's the same system that you've probably been interacting with for years. Mm. Um, and so again, that's, to me, that's why I'd say hang tight on, on crypto transactions, you know, it, it, depending on your audience, 
right? You might be out there far enough where your audience is absolutely comfortable with crypto. I'm comfortable with it, but a lot of people aren't just yet. So take the step, <laughs> bring them into that world and say, all the transactions are supported by our same engine that you interact with on our normal website, on our 2D website, our traditional website. And so that begins to pull that barrier down. It gets them into the space, helps them become more comfortable. Um, and again, you know, far as I'm concerned, when I'm thinking about building these things, I don't want to replace the 30 years of e-commerce backbone that we've built up. It works. It's safe. Um, there's no need to reinvent something that, that works. We still have mainframes around for crying out loud. <laughs> we figured out how to simply interact with them and let them do what they're good at doing, which is crunch and do, you know, really uh, CPU intensive, you know, um, problems, you know, figure out the answers mm. to problems. So just interact with that, you know, make the calls, make the transactional calls across the wire and, you know, keep it moving, go about the, you know, it's about the experience at this point. No, and I like one of the things out of all the things you said, which I think are definitely a good piece of advice is I like the idea of almost kind of taking it, first of all, knowing your audience. In other words, if they are, if they aren't familiar with their, you know, cryptocurrency, probably not good to just throw them into something they're not familiar with and ease, rather ease them into it and make them feel comfortable rather than to say, well, go use Bitcoin. And half time people are saying, I don't, I still don't understand Bitcoin. And that is going to be my next follow up question, which has nothing to do with it other than I want to get your thought on it. Um, but, you know, I think that easing them into it, understanding your audience and if they're comfortable with, you know, one thing, then move them incrementally to the next rather than just throwing them in the deep end, putting them in an uncomfortable position because, as with most people are going to say, man, it's just not worth it. I'm not going to do it. Whereas if you can ease them into it. So with that, I am going to jump to a question that I didn't, we didn't talk about before and I didn't plan on doing, but I, I've always been curious about it enough that I'll, I'll ask it anyway, which is I will be the first to admit, I, I understand the concept of cryptocurrency. So I'll, I'll preface it with that, but I don't know that I understand why people invest in it. And I'm talking specifically about cryptocurrency and I'll give you my setup and then I'd love to hear your thoughts. Maybe you can convince me of why I should. Um, and I know it's completely outside the you know er, er, expertise that we've been talking about, but my fundamental problem is, is, so if I go buy, you know, first of all, if I go buy something tangible, I own it. Like if I go buy a house, I own the real estate, I own the house and I know what I do. And even if I have a dollar, you know, in my wallet now, that dollar is just a piece of paper, but it represents people's willingness to exchange it in for products or services, right? So I can go buy something. When I go into cryptocurrency and let's just take Bitcoin as an example, I can't do anything with it. I mean, other than I can, I have a piece of something, but I can't buy anything with it. I can exchange it with other people if they're willing to buy it, you know, buy Bitcoin or sell Bitcoin. In other words, they'll give me dollars and I'll sell it to them. So you can say it's an asset, but I can't, you know, it's not like currency where I can go buy things with it. Very limited. Tesla tried to do it for a little bit of time and then they stopped and a few others, but it really seems like other than it's just a asset that I'm buying and selling, but you don't actually can't do anything with it. It seems really limited. So help me understand why would you invest in cryptocurrency or what you what you can do with it or what is the missing link for me? Yeah. So really great question. I'm not an expert. I'll preface my <laughs> I'm not an expert at all and I don't understand it. So that's why I was asking the question just purely out of our interest. For sure. Um I I think the the, the underlying premise to, to crypto is when you're building the infrastructure of the currency, it's it's a you know currencies are exactly like you said they're only worth something because people think that they're worth something right we say hey this is worth something i'll i'll take that and give you a hard good in exchange 
Um, right, right. So the same premise, but the underlying idea for crypto is it cannot be manipulated. Once it is there, it, that that's what it is. So there are no politics that can be um, pulled in to, to make it seem better than it is or, or, or lower than it is, right? You can't devalue it. You can't do that. So, so that's the underlying premise. And I do think we're, we're still quite at, at, ex, at the extreme early phase of, of using crypto, um, which is why you see the, the crazy roller coaster up and down, up and down. And again, it is just what people are willing to pay or to exchange for it right now. So that's why it's so volatile. Um, but you're right. You can't use it for, I can't use it to go buy a pizza. Um, I can't use it to go pick up a hat or a pair of shoes or anything like that. So I think the people that are, that are interested in using it today are, are some of those really early pioneers who, who always go all in very early into something that's new. Um, there's utility behind it. It is non-fungible, um, I won't say non-fungible, but it is, is written to a blockchain. So the, the traceability is there. The utility behind it also is what's important. So again, um, you know, if we look at the USD, there's some ungodly number, some ungodly amount of money that's just gone. We don't know where it is. It's not in circulation, but we know it's out there. Hmm. Well, where did it go? <laughs> and what's it worth, right? So I think that, you know, being able to have that on a, on a ledger, so to speak, that the people can see that no one can manipulate, no one can steal it unless they have the keys, um, that, that's, that's what, that's why it's important. That's why people are investing in it, but they we're super early. So I don't know that I would spend a whole bunch of money in there right now, uh, investing. That's just my take. Um, but I do think there are some really interesting projects that are coming on board that people are kind of building out this utility and the infrastructure so that, you know, maybe in some future time, we will all simply just trade, you know, this digital money and, uh, and buy our goods. And then, you know, that it's yours and it's valid. You didn't steal it from someone. No, and I, and I and I think if I were to get here's Devin's doctrine, and I you know for answering my own question, I do have first of all I have clients that work in a lot of different crypto related things now, and, and even in some in cryptocurrency, so I understand it. And my always my holdup has always been, well, if I go and invest in it, what can I do with it? Well, I can hold it and hope that it goes up, and then I'll sell it right back out for dollars. And if it goes down, it's not like I can do anything with it other than it goes down and now it's worth less dollars. But I think to your point, I think that part of it, at least it seems to me, is people are really kind of betting on the come that once you hit that critical mass of enough people have invested in it, enough people are using it, that now it is becoming that currency that people can exchange it with. And it'll be more valuable once it becomes a currency that people can exchange it with. So it seems like a lot of the people right now, at least the ones that understand, some people are just getting into it because they look and say, hey, it's going up and value i'm going to ride that train and hopefully i get out before it tanks but for the people that are more in it for the long run they're saying i think that at some point we're going to hit that critical mass it's going to become that currency that now people can use in replacement of dollars or in a replacement of other you know forms of transaction and at that point then it will be worth more and it will also be an alternative to government run currencies so there's my two cents i think it's an interesting topic and one we could dive in a lot deeper and a lot longer on but with that, as we are now reaching towards the end of the podcast, and we had so many more things we could have talked about, but I always have uh, one question I ask at the end of each episode. Um, so we're going to jump to that now. So that question is, is within your industry, what is the biggest myth and why is it wrong? Um, so in the consulting industry, I think one of the biggest myths that 
you know, that, that some of the larger brands, brands that we work with consider is they think we have to go to the big boys in order to, to get these complex projects done. Mm. Right. So we have to go and I'm not, not bashing anyone. So again, <laughs> on record, uh, you know, we, Oh, we have a really complex thing we need to do. We need to call Accenture or Deloitte or, you know, have Gemini because no one else can handle it. And that's simply not when true. you have some of the smaller consultancies who are very um, what I'll call hyper-focused in their niche, those companies can actually present you an opportunity to get something really innovative, save you a bunch of money, um, right? Because their fees might be a lot cheaper. And when you uh, when you work with those guys, you're going to get, you know, some of the principals who have been in it for a long time and not the, and again, I was once that. 20 something year old right out of school, you're not going to get those guys, you know, at a, at a $275 an hour rate They're they're six months out of school. So um, I think that is probably the biggest myth. And again, why is it wrong? Well, because you, you get better experience and those smaller companies, you know, they often know how to team up with other companies to create a, a team that is capable of delivering a larger, much more complex, um, you know, initiative. So that, that's where I think people can really, you know, save themselves some bucks, get better customer service and get something, you know, that is going to be a little bit better and, and geared to what they want. No, and I think that's absolutely a great takeaway. And I think that's across a lot of industries because you see it as the same thing in the legal industry, right? Hey, I've got a, a great invention. Well, I've got to go to the biggest or largest law firm that charges me the most possible, not because they do anything better, but just because they've built a, a big firm and been established for a long period of time. And yet one, a lot of times you end up overpaying. You don't get as good a product. A lot of times you get worse product because you're, you're a much smaller fish in a much bigger pond and they're focused on the other big fish. And so you're saying, you know, I think that to your point, a lot of times, if you're looking at it, you should be looking at what is the expertise, what is the experience, what is their niche and niche or niche or niche, whichever way you say it, that you, uh, that you go into and then do they line up with my needs and regardless of their size, maybe the big consultant, but just as oftentimes or more often you can find those that are much more experienced and better. And I think that's a great myth to dispel. And I think it's uh, ubiquitous across a lot of industries. Sometimes they are worth the extra money. A lot of times they're not. So Well, with that, now as we wrap up the episode, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an investor, they want to be an employee, they want to be your next best friend, <laughs> any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Uh, best way is on LinkedIn. So it's just my first name, Diedrich, and last name, Boyd, uh, to find me or on Instagram, and it's at Real Diedrich Boyd. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage people to uh, reach out, connect, and uh, otherwise uh, engage because it's uh, definitely, I think, a, a great uh, a great area that you can expand your business into and uh, presents a lot of opportunities. So with that, thank you again, Diedrich, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you listeners, if you can help us make sure to share this or to uh, help us to reach as many uh, startups and small businesses so they can help to grow or, or expand their business and grow by clicking share, subscribe, and leave us a review so everybody can find out about all this great expertise. And with that, if you ever need help with your patents, your trademarks, or anything else with your startup or your small business, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Well, thank you again, Diedrich, for coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thanks for having me.